Well, what's up, Porch? It's great to see you tonight. I normally get to spend my Tuesday nights in Fort Worth, Texas, but I'm so excited to get to hang with you tonight here in Dallas. Hey, Houston, El Paso, Tulsa, everybody else under the sun that's tuning in or under the moon since the days are getting shorter. It's great to see everyone tonight. Hey, um, we're going to take a pause from our series, First Comes Love. No big deal. It's going to come back next week. But as we do, um, I want to start by sharing with you that I went on my first fishing trip ever this last weekend. Now, I grew up in small town. Yes, way to go, all seven of you who like to fish. Well done. This is your night, man. So, uh, so I went on my first fishing trip ever. Now, I grew up in, in Deep East Texas, like small town. And I don't know what to tell you. Man. So I, uh, I don't know what to tell where two or three are gathered, all right? So I don't know what to tell you besides I, the apple fell far from the tree, man. I just don't fish. My dad was a business guy, and he coached baseball. That was what we did. So we were always at the ball field. We were never at the fishing pond. And so, or river, or lake, or whatever it is. And so what, uh, what happened was, I told, these guys were like, hey, there's 12 guys on the Fort Worth uh, team who said, hey, we're gonna go do this. I said, okay, great. But you need to understand, I'm like basically a nine-year-old. I mean, I have no idea what to do. I'm gonna need some serious expertise. I don't know what to buy. I don't own anything for fishing. I got my hands, like that's what I got. And so will you guys, and they're like, yes, we'll take care of you start to finish. So we go through the store. We go to Academy. There's a section for this. Some of you knew, but some of you didn't. Huge section. They're like, and there's these little bags for days. It's like an, half an acre of this stuff. And they're walking by and they start, teach, they start speaking another language. And, and a strong accent. It's, it's like, yeah, we need to get them a little bit of blah, 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 and we need to get them some, some, and a little this, and a little, and they start handing me like all this stuff, and I'm like, yeah, the blah, blah, some, some, that's what I need. And so they, they start putting all this stuff in my arms. I go and check out, and we get to the river. Now, you need to understand, this is way back country, three days of not seeing another human soul except our group, and we are going to fish. So I'm loaded up in my kayak, and we're gonna go, and I'm ready. And uh, the, there was a delightful redneck who took us to the spot to put in. It was amazing. <laughs> And, uh, and so he put us in, all the kayaks go in, all 12 at once, and, uh, and I start paddling. I'm like, I wanna get to the good water. I mean, I wanna get where no man has gone lately. I mean, I wanna fish, I wanna pioneer this thing, tip of the spear. And so I go, start paddling as soon as I can to kind of put some distance between me and the rest of the guys. And I threw, it makes a very satisfying little when you know, when you cast it out there. And so it hits the water and I sat there and grew a beard. It, I mean, nothing happened. And I know what some of you are thinking, you're like, oh, did you, did you switch bait? Maybe you had the bait, you're supposed to move it. Yes, I had five or six different kinds of bait. I spent half of the next three days changing the bait. I did it near the bank. I cast it in the, in the middle of the river. I put it on the bottom of the river. I put it near the top, kind of floating bait. You know, I tried all kinds of bait. I had red bait, white bait, blue bait. I had all kinds of bait. And so I, I'm just gonna save you an email. If you come down here after the message and you're like, hey man, I know what you did wrong. We are going to fight. I do not wanna hear <laughs> because I'm telling you, everybody knows the answer to the problem. And so I'm just telling you, it was a rough weekend. At one point, I didn't catch any fish the whole day. I bet I casted 500 times no fish, and this place is supposed to be an easy place to catch fish. And so by the end of the second night, one of the guys, one of the guys who had taken me through the store came up to me and said, Garrett, do you want to catch a fish? And I said, yes, I want to catch fish. And so he said, come on. And so we go down to, to the river. It is nighttime. He's got a headlamp on, okay? We're like to see Okay, people do this at night. And so he's got a headlamp on and we go down to his kayak where he has got Academy Sports and Outdoors in his kayak where he can give me anything that I need. And, uh, and he starts rigging up and he's, you know, does the other language thing again. He's like, yeah, you need a little, you know, a little this, a little that. And then he pauses and he goes, this is how you fish with kids, by the way. I'm like, oh, that's very encouraging. Thank you. And so he starts rigging me up this deal and he says, all right, go out there. And uh, so I walk out there into the leg high water. It's nighttime. I'm like, the joke is on me. Are you kidding? And he looks out there with his headlamp and he goes, oh yeah, this ain't gonna take long. Chunk him out there. I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm not gonna, it's gonna take. So boom, threw it out there and grew my second beard. And nothing happened. It just sat there the whole time. 
It just sits there. Nothing happened the entire weekend. And so here's what I want to tell you about fishing. Fishing is actually waiting. Fishing is waiting and wondering what the fish want. Because you don't know. And at first, you don't really wonder what the fish want because that's what insane people do. You don't want to sit there and think, what do you want, fish? Instead, you just want to fish. But eventually, your patience starts to get worn down. And you're like, what do you want? What do you want from me? Do you want, it, do you want it closer to the surface? Do you want it farther down? What is it exactly that you want? I mean, are you guys down there like, ah, it's Garrett's hook. Ha ha, you know what I mean? <laughs> what are you guys doing down there? Before you know it, I start to get vengeful. I walk through the grocery store, you know, and there's the fish right there. And I'm like, ha ha, you know? <laughs> we win. We win, I cook you and eat you. And so before you know it, you start asking yourself all these insane questions and you realize that fishing is waiting and wondering what the fish want. And there's something else in life that involves a lot of waiting and wondering. And it is, that's something else that involves a lot of waiting and wondering is a relationship with someone you can't see, namely God. When you're in a relationship with God, you are in a relationship with someone that you cannot see and someone that you cannot control, which many of you have noticed. You don't get to say what God does. You don't get to decide what God does. He gets to decide. And at first, no matter how patiently, you know, and you focus on it, just like I did with fishing, you know, you focus on it. You're like, okay, this time, I'm gonna get the right study Bible, and I'm gonna get the right journal and pen, and I'm gonna get the right mentors, I'm gonna get the right coaching, and I am just going to be very, very patient. But eventually, your patience wears down, and you're left wondering the same kinds of questions. What does God want? Eventually, you start going, okay, what do you want? What do you want? Is it me? I mean, is something wrong with me? Is it because I haven't read my Bible enough lately? Is that why you're not doing what I want? It seems like you're jumping around, which by the way, on the trip, fish were jumping around me, just not on the hook. And it seems like, I mean, in your walk with God, you're going, okay, God, it seems like you're doing good things for other people, but I'm just waiting on you, waiting for a better circumstance, waiting for a better job, waiting for someone who is able to be convinced to spend the rest of their life with me. I'm waiting on a parent to be healed. I'm waiting on me to be healed. I'm waiting on a promotion. I'm waiting on you to get me out of this financial ordeal. And we wait and we wait and we wait. And eventually you just start wondering, man, what's wrong with me? Is it because I pay more attention to fantasy football this week? Is it because I signed up for Bumble? I mean, what's the deal? God, is there something actually wrong with me? We wait and we wonder. And if you're not careful, you'll end up getting frustrated. And so what I wanna do tonight is I want you to see in the scripture with complete clarity what God wants that's what we're gonna spend our time on tonight is what God wants. Because in the scripture, God gets to speak for himself. And so we can go straight to him to hear exactly what he wants. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to a parable that Jesus told. Now, what's a parable? A parable is a short story um, that Jesus told to illustrate one point, all right? It's a short made-up story that Jesus made up in order to illustrate something very important about God. And in this story, which is found in Luke chapter 15, you're gonna see that Jesus illustrates what God wants. And specifically, you're gonna get introduced to a few people in this story and you're gonna to need to pay attention to them. And so the three are one, you're gonna meet a father who has two sons. And those two sons are the second and third characters in the story. And now Luke is uh, the third book of your New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke is essentially a biography of Jesus. And just to give you confidence and to give me confidence tonight that Luke is a trustworthy source, the more archeological discoveries that are made, the more time goes on. Luke has proven himself over and over again to be one of the most reliable historians ever. The book of Acts, he also wrote it, which is, if you're tracking with us on Sundays here at Watermark, um, the book of Acts was written by Luke and he has incredible eye for detail. The scripture says that he was a physician. And so if you're a medical type, you know that detail is important and Luke is going to capture in detail exactly what Jesus wanted to express to us about what God 
once. You'll see three acts as we go. The story develops. That's the fun part about a story is there's some tension and some development to it. And so there are three acts in that story. And we're going to pause after each one and draw attention to it. And so let's, let's get to the text. This is a very famous story, by the way. Some of you have heard this before and some of you are going to get to enjoy this for the first time. Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. You should know up front the father represents God. And this younger son comes up to him and says, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. What he's doing is he's doing a big no-no. You need to know how offensive this is. He is asking for his inheritance early. He's going to his dad and he's saying, hey, I know how this works. When you die, I get money. And so can we just pretend that's already happened? You be dead to me. I'm gonna remove myself from this house. You're not my dad functionally anymore for sure. And I would love to take the wealth that you have accrued through your hard work and I would like to go and do whatever I want with it. And so this breaks any father's heart. Any, no dad wants to hear this. No good dad wants to hear this. And this is exactly what he does. He used his father to get what he really wanted because he didn't want his father. This is heartbreaking for anyone. And so the first act kind of unfolds quickly. It's worth knowing that God wants you to want him more than what he can give you. God wants you to want him. If he's a father, and the father in the story represents God the father, and if he's a loving father, then he wants you, if he's in it for the relationship, then any father who's really in it for the relationship doesn't just wanna provide, he wants to have relationship. And I'm sad to say that this is where we get to see ourselves in the story, which is why the story is so gripping. Because every one of us, to some degree or another, self-included, have made this deal with God. I'm sad to say that I made this deal with God. I didn't say it in these terms. I don't even think I said it consciously, but I knew. See, I grew up in church. I was churched a little bit, at least. And I knew what was right, I knew what was wrong, and I knew, I had heard of the goodness of God. And I said, I think I know what is good, and I'm gonna go get it. So I essentially, in my heart, said to God, God, I don't want you, I'll just go have sex with your daughters, whoever I want. God, I don't want you but um, your food is pretty good. God, I don't want you, but I'd love to have a lot of your creation so that I can be rich and I can feel like I'm managing a lot. God, I don't wanna worship you. I wanna worship, but I like it when your people worship me. Every one of us have made this deal with God and no father wants it and God does not want it. He wants us to want him more than what he can offer us because he's in it for the relationship. But here's the thing, he won't force it. God didn't keep any prisoners. The door is wide open and this kid took it. And so it says in verse 13, not many days later, the younger son did what sons do when they got daddy's money, but they don't care about daddy's wishes. It says he gathered all he had and he took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, we find out later in the story that he didn't kind of party. When you see reckless living, you need to know what that means. It doesn't mean, you know, he went and had one too many. It means he threw some ragers, okay? It says later in the scripture, it says that he devoured the property with prostitutes. So whatever money can buy, that's what he bought. And don't you know that when someone with that kind of money and with that kind of influence is the new kid in town and the new kid in town has got money and he's got a taste for the party, you make friends kind of fast. So you can bet wherever he landed, he ended up being right in the middle of it. He's the new great Gatsby that just came to town, throwing the huge parties. Everybody wants to be a part of it and it is reckless living. But here's the thing, when you spend your wealth in that way and you spend your time in that way, eventually it runs out. The money runs out, the music stops, the friends leave, and there's nothing but a wasteland there. 
It says, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. We don't know if years went by, maybe a long time went by, but it says he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Now that's low work for anybody, but you need to know for a Jewish young man, a national identity to him was very important. And to be working for someone who was not an Israelite, working for someone who was not Jewish, was the ultimate insult. On top of that, pigs were considered to be the most filthy, dirty, inedible animal to be around. You would be religiously unclean to be around pigs. And here he is working for someone who is not one of God's people, and he's feeding pigs. And it gets worse, verse 16. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. He's begging, and he's not even begging for human food. He's begging for pig food. That's what he wants. And uh, some parties land with a louder thud than others, but all parties land with a thud. If you've ever been to a party and seen it the next morning, you know it's not the scene of festivity and it's not the scene of fun. There's empty food containers, there's empty pizza boxes, there's empty beer bottles. Some poor soul may still be there asleep, about to wake up, realizing what's going on. And it's just an absolute wasteland. And what used to be the place where people were gathering is now the farthest place that people wanna be from. And that's where he found himself. He woke up hungry, broke, and alone. And that is eventually what happens when you part of your life away. I've tried that. And finally, he does the first sane thinking that he's done in a long time. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants? These guys just work for my dad. They're not even the sons. They just aren't even my brothers. They just work for dad. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I'm perishing here with hunger. I'm about to die of starvation because I left dad. I will arise and go to my father and I will say. Now, I love what he does next. You ever done something wrong and you knew you were gonna have to face dad? You remember these days? Like, you know you're gonna have to face dad and all of a sudden you are a professional speech writer. You're like, listen, dad, here's what had happened. Before you say anything, let me just say, um, before you do that, let me just explain. There, and we all of a sudden, we get very creative. And so we just kind of build and build. This is just common to humanity. It was going on 2,000 years ago. It's going on today. When you're about to have to face dad, you get pretty creative about what you're about to say. And he writes a pretty decent speech. I will give him that. So look here, it says, I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, which is absolutely true. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, which is also true. By choice, he chose that. And then he comes up with a little idea. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Just take me back as somebody who can work for you. Don't even have to call me a son. I'll change my last name, I don't care. I just need to eat, I'll work, it doesn't matter. Just let me on the property. And he arose and came to his father. Now pause right there. I want you to think about years of being gone. You haven't laid eyes on your dad or your brother or the servants, or the extended family in a long, long time. And you don't know how they're gonna receive you because guess what? They know what you've been doing and it doesn't make daddy proud, nor anyone else. And so now you're about to walk back home because this is not, you don't catch an Uber, you're walking, okay, long time ago. And so you're walking and every step, you've got a chance to think about what's been going on. You've got a replay going of everything you've done. Some of you have this negative replay of the low lights of your life. And he's walking home and he's got that going, he's going, okay, I got nothing but the speech. That's all I've got. And I've got dad's reaction and I have no idea what it's gonna be. And if you don't know why God 
is worth singing to and about, not just on Tuesdays, but every day? You are about to find out. It says, but while he was still a long way off, so dad's looking, he's waiting. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt murderous. No, that's not what it says. His father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is so shocking. This is crazy. This is insane for lots of reasons. Number one, old men in this culture don't run, okay? It's a respect thing, all right? You earned a right, you put it on cruise control, all right? You do not have to run. But this man is running, okay? Second, men in this culture happen to wear what we would commonly call a dress, okay? So they would call it a tunic or a cloak or something like that, but it's one piece, man. And so never put one on, but I'm assuming it's not easy to run in. And so he is all of that. You've ever seen an old man running a skirt? I mean, everybody's watching. And so he is... So excited to see his son and he is moving towards him. And now if I'm, if you're him, you're like, oh my goodness. I don't know about you guys. I had a fantastic dad, but he was intense. And if I had messed up, there was some intensity about that. And so if I had done this and I was coming home and all of a sudden dad's getting bigger in the windshield, I'm running. I'm like, I'm out. I don't want anything to do with whatever he's about to do to me. And it says, but when he got there, it's a, it's a hug. What? He embraced him and kissed him. And in shock, because everybody's in shock. I mean, if you're watching, you're like, this is a drive-by, this is a sprint-by punch in the mouth. That's what this is about to be. And he said, it says, the son said to him, it's like, what do I do? I don't know what to do. I guess I'll play role on the speech. So here we go. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And you might notice that the speech doesn't even get finished because the father interrupts. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. What? Bring him the best robe? Did you say quickly punch him in the nose? Is that what you said? No, it says quickly bring him the best robe we've got. Whatever the best garment is that we have in the house, I want you to bring it out here and I want you to put it on him. It's like, hey son, glad you're back. What was it you're saying? It's not important what you have to say. Here's what I have to say. Get the best thing that we have and put it on him right now. And then it says, put a ring on his hand, which is a symbol of being in the family. A symbol of being a part of this group and a symbol of restored wealth, and it puts shoes on his feet. Guy's dirty. Don't you know he's just nasty, smells bad, he's dirty. Put shoes on his feet, and then it says, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Now listen, if you're a vegetarian, I got nothing for you right here. <laughs> My wife and I's birthdays are both in the same month, and in that month, we always go and have the fattened calf and have some really good steak. It is fantastic, and my friends, it's in October. I'm already thinking about it. All right, it's coming up. And so the fattened calf is a symbol of a special occasion. It's when you eat good. It's what you've been waiting for. And spontaneously, the dad just says, hey, we are about to have a party. We're about to eat and celebrate. Why? For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. And don't you know the father knew everything that had been going on? People talk, man. People talk now, they talk back then. He knew what was going on but he still valued the fact that his son was just home more than what his, son, what his son had been doing. And so as act two draws to a close, you find out that God wants your presence despite your past. It might be the best news you've ever heard. God wants your presence near him despite where you've been. For God, it's about where you are today, near him. 
And there's something inside of all of us that just wants to reject that. It's like, there's no way, not me, somebody else. You know, maybe the person on the other section, maybe the person on the other row, maybe the person right beside me, maybe me if I hadn't gone quite so far. And we try to talk ourselves out of this. The point of Jesus' story is that this guy went as far as a human being could go. Do you understand? You are in bounds. God wants your presence despite your past. That's the goodness of God. And uh, my favorite part of the story is actually still ahead, act three. And a lot of people stop right there because that's a stopping point. I mean, could we not pause right there and just bring the guys back up and we're singing and worshiping in response to that? I mean, that's enough. But there happens to be another part where the heart of humanity and the heart of God is explained even further. Verse 25, it says, now his older son, you remember this man had two sons. Now his older son was in the field and as he drew, as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. What is going on? Last I checked, dad doesn't just throw random parties. And the servant said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed him. No, your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. There's so much broken here, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out, here's the goodness of God, and entreated him. Could have just let him pout outside. I don't know about in your house, but if I pouted, that was like being cut off from your people. Nobody pouts. But God, in his kindness, he says the father comes out and entreats him, implores him, asks him to come, asks him to come inside, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Now, there's something you never complained to your dad about. God, dad, you, where's the young goat, man? My friends and I want to celebrate. The young goat represents even a, even a little bit of a reward. But when this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the filet mignon for him. What's the deal? And there is so much wrong there. He's competitive, he's angry, he's just a party pooper in general. But here's the deepest, darkest secret of all that just came out. He stayed home, but he didn't love the father. Not any more than the other son had. He didn't love the father. He didn't like being near him. In fact, he wanted the same thing the younger son did. Stuff. His own goodness. You could say the younger son was lost in his own badness. And the older son was lost in his own goodness. In your Bible, the parable is probably called the parable of the lost son. It should be called the parable of the lost sons. Because one of these kids left home, but they were both far away. Because the man who stayed home did not enjoy being around God. He was a self-righteous person. I'm sad to say this represents the self-righteous churchgoer the self-righteous person who says, you know what, I'm gonna, I wanna sin. I mean, just like the younger brother wanted to sin. I mean, I want the same thing, but you know what? Instead of just saying yes, like he did, I'll say no for the wrong reason. Like I'll, I'll watch him do it, but I'll say no, I won't sin just so I can feel clean, just so I can feel a little relatively better, just so I can feel like I'm a better person, just so I can keep up my projection and false idea of myself as a righteous person. There's nothing fundamentally different about what they wanted. Neither of them loved God. Neither of them loved the Father, that is to say. And I'm sad to say that that is where many, many, many people who have been in church for decades, I'm afraid, live. 
near God, close to God, in God's house, in the meetings, in the services, at the porches, in the podcast, in the book even. But there is no love for God. And that's why the story is so powerful because the two sons encompass all of humanity. If you can hear my voice right now, you're some mix of these two guys because you love something other than God, just like me. You love something other than God. And in neutral, you'll decide either just to give in to that desire or say no to it and be proud that you did. And both of them will take you away from the Father. And listen to how relational the Father is. If you are that self-righteous person, if you're the person who says, you know what, I am not the typical North Dallas young adult. I didn't go off and party and I'm not, I don't live in this place and I don't go to these places and blah, blah, blah. And that's your pride. I wanna tell you, God has a kind word for you. Verse 31, he said to him, son, you're always with me. Didn't you remember that's what this whole thing is about? You're with me. And all that's mine is yours anyway. It was fitting to be celebrated, be glad. For now your brother who was dead is now alive. He was lost and is found. Don't you see, son, I want your devotion. I don't want your achievement. I know your younger brother was a screw up, but the fact that you're doing better doesn't achieve your way into good grace, man. The father wants devotion. The father wants relationship. Any good father doesn't want just accomplishment. He doesn't want hollow compliance. He wants the heart of his children, both of them. So at the end of Act 3, you find that God wants your devotion, not your achievements. God's not looking for your hollow Christian achievement. He's not looking for the verse you memorized a long time ago or even last week. Unless it stirs your affections for him. God is not trying to tell you to behave, people. He wants to be with He wants to be with you. He doesn't want the older son to sit there and behave. He's not saying, hey, behave, hey, behave, behave. He's saying, I wanna be with you. He's intensely relational. And it is a shame to live close to him and not know. It is a shame to live close to God and be just more into good than into God. To be moralistic and to be empty just so you can feel good about you. So I just wanna close by asking you, which son are you? Which son are you? Maybe a mix of the two. I know I've woken up and been discouraged to find both sons alive and well in me. I just wanna ask you, which son are you? Are you away? For some of you, Dallas is away. You moved away and you've done some things that if dad heard, it would not be good. But the real dad that counts, man, he knows. He is aware of what you came to this city to do. He's aware of what you are currently doing. And he's not chasing you down to harm you. He's ready to receive you. He wants to be reunited with you. This reunion could be waiting on you right now. And so if you're the lost son, I wanna tell you, if you're the far away, physically far away son, and you know you're just giving up to your sin, you know you just said yes to it, and you totally left God behind, I wanna tell you, God is waiting for you. He wants to be reunited with you. He wants to be with you. And if you're the son who is at home, but somehow you forgot that God's not keeping a scorecard on you and you shouldn't be keeping a scorecard on yourself. Somehow you forgot that better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere and somehow you missed that fact and you slipped into moralism that doesn't have anything to do with your heart. You need to know God's interested in being with you and he's glad you're home. He's not saying, well, might as well go party if you're not gonna love me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, be with me. If you're gonna be here, be with me. 
if you're gonna be engaged in the local church, if you're gonna be, if you're gonna count yourself a follower of Christ, be with me 100%. I love this story uh, because it involves two brothers. And uh, I grew up with an older brother and I'd love to close it tonight by, uh, by telling you about him. He, uh, he and I grew up uh, rebelling together, if you will. So we kind of slept through the same Sunday school. And uh, we did the wrong things, man. We did a few of the wrong things. We drank the wrong things. We smoked the wrong things. Then we smoked the other wrong things. And uh, we decided to steal my mother's car one night together. And then we got pulled over by the police at 4.30 a.m. together. This is before I was a believer in Christ. Neither of us were. And, uh, and we were both pretty lost. And uh, we had heard things like this. But it didn't matter to us. We wanted to be away. That's what we wanted to do. And something happened that changed that for me. The night before I went to college, I walked in to a church and uh, for some strange reason. And as I walked in, I heard a communicator communicate the love of God and the desire of God for me. And I found out the answer to that question that we started with tonight. What does God want? The answer is you. You. First name, last name, you. That's what he wants. And that came over me. And that started to change my life from the inside out. And so what happened all of a sudden when I was 18 and my brother was 21, our paths started to diverge a little bit because I wanted to be around the father. And now for my brother, he looked at me and he thought, you know what? He must have gotten some shot of religion. You know, he must have woke up and he must have woken up and like grew a conscience. You know, maybe he just kind of got indoctrinated and now, you know, he, he was always a little better, you know? So maybe he just wants to double down on being better. And I'm telling you, that is not what happened. And I would try to tell him in return, I would say, you don't understand, bro. The goodness of God the fact that God wants me and wants you is so real. You have no idea how good he is. And he just wasn't interested, wasn't interested. Well, a year later, our mother passed away. And as that happened, I was so convinced that God wanted me, despite the chaos of my life, and despite the fact that I had been the lost son who went away a long way, and the fact that he wanted me just took such a grip on me that even that hardship drew me closer to God. But that hardship, because my brother could not see that God wanted him through that chaos. It pushed him even farther away. And what started out as adolescent partying went into full-blown adult alcoholism. And the weeknight or the weekday adventures kind of turned into weeknight reality. It just became normal. And he became more and more confused, more and more angry, more and more frustrated at God, and more and more convinced that somehow um, I had just woken up and decided to behave. And I told him over and over again, several times. One night he called me on the phone. He flew to Vegas to party by himself. This is where this ends, by the way, if, uh, if this is how you feel your life spiraling out of control. It doesn't go well. He called me from Vegas and uh, he was about to go party by himself. And I said, man, why don't you just fly home? You know, why don't we just hang out? Let's talk some more, man. So I talked to him on the phone for about an hour. And he said, there's no just, he, he was confused by the world around him. He was angry at the world around him and he, he raged against the world around him. And he just thought there was no justice in the world. How could our mom die while there are criminals that are thriving millionaires? I mean, how could this happen? And I tried to tell him, I said, buddy, it's the, it's the chaos of the world. It's not God. God wants you. He's calling for you. He's reaching out. He's reaching out. And our paths continue to diverge. And about two years ago, I got a phone call. I was in the Ridgely Theater in Fort Worth on a Sunday morning and I got a phone call. That, uh, that he didn't make it. That's the phone call I woke up to on Sunday morning while I was in church. And you hear something like that and you hope it's not true. 
And so uh, they told me they were at a hospital, and so I went to a hospital in North Dallas, and, uh, and he, far North Dallas, and he, um, he had hit a telephone pole um, on his four-wheeler at 10 in the morning. And then they didn't know why. They didn't know if he had been drinking or not. It was, seemed likely, but we weren't sure. We didn't know what kind of intent or what was mentally going on in his life or heart that morning. But I walked into a hospital room, and when there's nobody in the hospital room, it, it means it's over. And I walked in, and uh, it was him, and he was dead. And it was real, really real. And uh, five days later, um, I stood up at the front with him. He was right there in the casket. I was in the, in the front, suits on, you know, and uh, I looked at our family and friends, and I said, guys, I'm gonna say the most encouraging thing I can say. He, he had heard that God wanted him. He heard, he knew. And what we can do is we can hope that that penetrated his heart in a way that we never saw. And we can trust God because we know that God wants him even more than we do. But I know this, if he was here right now, he would tell you that God wants you. He would tell you that God's priority in the universe is you. He would tell you that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and died a, a painful death and rose again from the grave so that the chaos of the world can make sense to you and that the pain of what you're going through can make sense to you. And the whole existence I never understood was that God was after me. That's what he would say. And that's what I'm here to tell you. I invited him to this room years ago and consistently. I wanted him here. But here's the deal. You're here. You get to hear God wants you. You get to hear God desires you. And I don't know what you came into the room thinking God wants from you. Maybe you thought he doesn't care. Maybe you thought he wants you to suffer. Maybe, maybe you thought he wants to pay you back for something. But the truth is, God loves you. He wants you. He is after you with passion and with ferocity and with focus and with a want that you could never even dream up for another human being. That is how God is after you. And you aren't waiting on him, by the way, as much as he's waiting on you to want him more than what you thought you were waiting on. So I wanna tell you, if you're more into good than into God, you're wasting your life. And I'm telling you, I hope you didn't miss anything. I hope you didn't miss, I hope you didn't misunderstand me and think that I think that I'm better or I think that I did good. If you didn't miss it, I'm telling you the only reason I'm here is because one little idea got lodged in my head. It's the idea that God loved and wanted me. That's the only reason I'm here. And I'm telling you, if you don't believe God wants you, the end of your life has already started. But if you know that God wants you and you know that he desires you and you know that he can turn this thing around, no problem, then whether you are in heaven or on earth, you are with him and that is better than being any other place. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son to take the form of a servant to pursue us and make a statement of your love to us that we can know your love for us. Thank you that you wrote the words. By this we'll know your love. By this you demonstrate your love. 
that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. There's not a one of us that in here that is good, God, and we know that. God, both of our strategies ran dry a long time ago. The desire to go off and do what we want and the desire to stay home and pretend we're good. They're both dead ends, God, and we confess it and we welcome you. Thank you for your entreaty of us. Thank you for your love and pursuit of us. You could have just let us go. But you desire us in a way that changes us from the inside out and it preserves life, not just eternally, but right now. And God, for any human being in this room, any human being in these rooms, any human being who is connected to us in any way, God, if they don't know what it's like to have that reunion, if they don't know what it's like to feel that embrace, God, I pray that they would just feel that wash over them in these very moments because you're glad to see us despite the mess that we're wearing. We love you for it and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.